0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode number 558 and we welcome Mr. David Kaiser. We're going to talk about cleaning for health. Looking forward to a great show. This is a topic I really enjoy, and I look forward to talking to David more about it as the show goes on. Before we get started, let's thank our platinum sponsor. IAQ
2: Radio platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's
1: J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus. Healthy Indoors magazine, Grey Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc Laboratory. And of course, our association sponsors, Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. I also want to remind listeners about the Healthy Building Summit coming up October 16th to 18th at Seven Springs Resort in beautiful Somerset, Pennsylvania this year's theme is practice to research. We'll be developing uh, ideas for researchers on what we really need in the field and what kind of research we would like to see them working on. So if you can join us, check out the website at healthybuildingssummit.com. All right, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
0: And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question.
3: Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Andrew Gonsar, Certified Safety St. Louis, Missouri, for being first to identify the Bellevue Stratford Hotel in Philadelphia as the place a 1976 outbreak of pneumonia infection occurred. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday the 20th of September 2019, has been sponsored by Ideas, the Solution Chemistry Company, providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's trivia question. Name the person who coined the term greenwashing. Back to you, Joe. All right, so we've got David Kaiser today. David
1: has cared for indoor environments through his career in the mechanical and cleaning industries. Uh, David and his wife, Carrie, also started and operated a family cleaning business for over 30 years in northern Virginia, Champagne Services held the CIMSGB certification. We'll be talking about what that is as the show goes on. They served hundreds of the same clients for decades. Uh, They are founders of the Association of Residential Cleaning Services, and he served as the first president of RC. Champagne Services was also the first residential cleaning services to join the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. David spearheaded and served as the initial chair of the IICRC's House Cleaning Technician. They sold Champagne Services in 2015, and he is now an author and uh, working as a consultant, instructor, and author. And he's got a great book called The Professional House Cleaning Technician's Manual. We'll be talking more about that. Welcome to the show, David.
4: Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Cliff. Uh, Thank you for having
1: me. Great to have you here. Let's, Let's start out with how you got involved. You were in the mechanical industry, Mm -hmm. early on in your career, and then kind of transitioned over to residential cleaning. Tell listeners a little more about how that happened. Okay, sure. And before
4: I get started, I'd like to just give a a shout out to uh, Joe Dobbins. I know he's a listener to the show. And uh, him and his wife, Janet, have been very supportive uh, of the residential cleaning industry. And uh the reason i mention his name i know he's been going through some health issues and he's hopefully feeling a lot better and uh, he's also a previous winner of the trivia question uh, oh yeah uh,
2: sure
4: I wish so, joe out so yeah so uh welcome joe if you're on um <clears throat> i just uh want to tell you a little bit about uh, my background so that you understand a little bit about where i'm coming from and and as it relates to the industry um my background, the mechanical, we just talked about the Bellevue Stratford Hotel. That was where uh, Legionella was uh, coined, that term and that name. Um, and we talked a lot about that recently because it was really a cleaning problem that, um, that was a, uh, a clogged drip pan and a cooling tower that was the culprit. And it was a lack of cleaning maintenance. But my background was... Uh, involved in, in starting the cleaning industry was really because of my wife, Carrie. Um, she had started cleaning houses uh, as an alternative to being um, an admin assistant, uh, an executive assistant and commuting into DC. And so uh, she was doing really well. And I had gotten hurt as a pipe welder and a boiler maker, And Um, I was helping her a little bit as I was recuperating. I was like, man, she's not commuting. She's starting later, getting home earlier. We're not paying a babysitter as much and she's making great money and people love her work. And uh, there's something to this cleaning thing. And so that's really how I got into it. I was helping her pass out uh, some flyers. I I would pass out flyers in the evening while she was cooking supper and uh, uh, we'd blew up a business within three years. uh, I bought a small commercial business of my uncle's too. uh, And with those uh, efforts, we built a million dollar business in about three years. Um, We were part of the building service contractors association international and the national capital chapter. And that's where I got a chance to really meet uh, some mentors, people like Jim Purcell and, and Jim Netterstrom and, and Robert Sanders and, and people who really uh, were interested in promoting and improving the cleaning industry. And, um, and that's where a lot of the founders of BSCIA came from was the Washington DC area. And so I was able to really learn a lot from them and, um, and use them as a, as sort of a guide and a become their disciples so to speak maybe a lot of them don't know that or appreciate it but but i i certainly did and i've told many as well
1: well wow you know i i live at a little resort up here in the mountains of pennsylvania and 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 the people up here and and i i assume in many places they look at cleaning as as a commodity um and, and it's it's all about the price and and they don't really ask you, you know, how do you clean or why do you clean or anything like that? I'm wondering, you know, I know that's something that's close to your heart and how do we change that? How do we, you know, how do we get the, uh, the cleaning industry to not be looked at as a commodity, but more as uh, something else? Well, you know,
4: um, one of the things that, uh, people get confused about because they just don't know. And this is part of, uh, What we can do a better job at is, as thought leaders in the industry, is that people think everybody can clean. Anybody can clean. It's sort of a low level, no skill, low skill level work to do. Um, They compare it even as lower as uh, as like being an Uber driver. Uh, At least with the Uber, they have some other third party licensing their drivers and forcing them to provide insurance for their cars, that's not even done in the clean industry. Um, however, cleaning is really the first line of defense in health care. Um, and so to do it properly is, is really a way to prevent sickness and illness and promote health in the home, especially. And um, more people get sick from the home environment than any other single place. A lot of people don't realize that. And it's hard to measure when people don't get sick because of good cleaning practice. So um, very, very tough uh, job to be able to communicate and telegraph to the public, to even our industry, that cleaning is not a commodity, but it's something that is a true craft, just like welding was, I had to have all kinds of certificates and papers and credentials for the kind of steel I was working on, for my credentials that I was able to uh, weld a, a joint and a piece of pipe or on a piece of steel plate in a boiler. Um, and so I thought, well, lives are involved. That's why. Well, lives are involved with cleaning as well. People just don't realize it. And maybe they don't die from a lack of proper cleaning that day. Uh, like a boiler explosion will cause that, but they do get sick. They have a lesser quality of life. And many times, sadly, they do die. And so we need to be able to tell that message better, uh, not just to the people who work in this industry, uh, the people who are on this call, but we need to be able to telegraph that in a, in a broad clear way to the masses
3: David, you know, I, I think this is a perfect point to when you and I were at the Siri event uh, and Dr. Gene Cole right. had a very sobering presentation on what happens uh, in nursing homes when people go in and out of mm-hmm. them. And I'm wondering if you could uh, recount part of that for the listeners.
4: Um, Gene, Gene told that story about a scenario in a nursing home, and um, he was pretty solemn about his uh, story and um, while it was illustrative, it certainly reflected what really does happen and um, we 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 have the the sad outcome of of how disease moves from one person to the other. What he had to say was that When somebody gets sick in a nursing home or assisted living facility, they might be sick two or three days, they uh, have a doctor look at them, but over the course of that two or three days, they get progressively worse to the point where the nursing home can't handle the care required and the treatment required, so they're moved to a hospital setting. Well, two or three more days go by, maybe even a week, and they continue to worsen, and they die. And maybe they had a respiratory illness or some other kind of uh, a bacterial infection, et cetera, that killed them. Um, and what happens is that room they vacated in the nursing home or the assisted living facility, uh, it may have been uh, cleaned in a cursory manner when they went to the hospital. Um, but what happens is the money side of, of the equation is that that's a vacant room. And the facility has an obligation to fill it, and there are many, many people waiting for that room. And so, um, no real, real intense, serious attention is given to the protocols and the practice of cleaning that room in a manner that really makes it ready for a new occupant. Um, it may not get cleaned at all, other than that cursory cleaning that the 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 uh, the, the um housekeeping might have done when the person moved out. They might put new linens on the, on the bed or, or just do a cursory dusting or wipe down with some uh, clean solution of, of the knobs and the uh, you know toilet seat, et cetera. But for the most part, the, there's no knowledge about, and no required regulation to say that this room needs to be cleaned in such and such a manner upon uh, its vacating. So uh, really serious problem. And uh, by extension, when people come to visit those people, when uh, people work in those environments, and they take those things home with them, they may not be sick themselves, but they may carry uh, harmful pathogens on their clothing or uh, their water bottle or what have you. And that's how disease and
1: illness is perpetuated in the community. You know, David, when we talked before the show, you, you mentioned two things that I thought were, uh, I took some notes and, and, I, and I wanted to ask you to repeat back to listeners your thoughts on these two kind of topics. One was that uh, the cleaning people are caretakers of the indoor environment. I thought that was a great way of putting it. And And the second was that you feel that, the cleaning industry has to have a stronger and clearer voice about what threats or dangers uh, lack of proper cleaning poses. But then, you know, we also have the we've got to be careful in doing that, that we don't become fear mongers. And, and I'm wondering how you how you recommend people straddle that line there. Well, my
4: experience in being a fear monger is that you go put your head in the sand and ignore the threat. Um, I think the term only science can see is a powerful term that we need to uh, pay more attention to. It deserves more respect than it gets. Science is clearly helping people and historically has helped people in the world of cleaning and infection prevention. Um, uh, and that's been the case down through history. Um, even before germs were really recognized, you know, the first postulates were pu- that were published on germ theory was about 1890, 1870. Uh, they were first talked about really in, in terms that we understand them today. But even before that, during the Civil War, for example, Sally Tompkins um, was a um, a person who, who served in the Civil War, and she opened a hospital. Um, on her own, with her own family's money, private hospital in Richmond, Virginia, called Robertson Hospital, and she insisted on cleanliness. And because of her insistence on those kinds of practices, out of almost 1,400 people that they took care of, um, only um, 73 deaths uh, were occurred in that hospital. Period. Not 73 from non-combat. Just 73 deaths. It was unheard of. And it changed the way people think about how they practice medicine in a hospital setting. And we need to think that way about how we live, um, how we live, what, what causes disease transmission? How is infection spread from one person to the other? And uh, it doesn't take a lot. We don't have to be fear mongers, but um, an example, of uh, Some of the things that have, have really helped is uh, understanding just in the last few years, the threat of MRSA. Uh, MRSA is something that is, is a super germ. It's not a germ that existed when our grandparents were alive. And um, so uh, by practicing good hygiene, we are able to reduce the threat in the community and in hospitals of a superbug like that.
3: Cliff, let, let me turn it over to you. Well, um, I mean, I can tell you, my wife had a personal story with it. She went to New York for a couple of days to help my son uh, find an apartment when he was going to go to school there, and she bought a new pair of shoes. And she's walking around, and she ends up getting a blister. And uh, you know, within hours, that blister became a MRSA infection. She was hospitalized up there for for several days. And I know you also had uh, a personal experience with Marissa, and yours was a much closer call. So, uh, right. I
4: heard most hear of that. I heard okay. most of that cliff. Um, uh, I'm sorry to hear about your wife. And, and that's interesting that you share that story. Uh, because when we were at series symposium at Miami university, uh, um, you know, Keith Whiteley, he was the keynote speaker. Do you know, he, he told me his daughter in Australia had a serious issue with MRSA. So it's not something that just people get in hospitals anymore. Uh, super germs used to be pretty much relegated to the environment of the immune compromised in a hospital setting where there's a lot of congregant people who are sick, but that's not the case anymore. And so, um, yes, I had MRSA. I got it in uh, 2004. And uh, in the spring, it was on the back of my hand. I had a little blister cut or something. I don't know what had happened, but it didn't heal. And it got a little bigger and a little bigger. And it got to be like an open oozing kind of a wound. And um, a friend of mine uh, looked at that. He had seen me a couple weeks earlier. And I had just been trying to doctor it myself. And uh, he said, man, you need to go to the doctor about that. And I did. I hate doctors. But I love doctors as people, but, you know, the, the whole the whole it's system serious. is like, you know, who wants to be sick, right? So, so I went to the doctor, and they did a culture, and I went to the doctor on a Thursday evening, and on Monday morning, I got a call uh, saying, you need to go see a, an infectious disease doctor right away. It's an emergent situation, and they didn't tell me what it was, but it turned out it was MRSA. Anyway, in those few days and a couple days after that, the infection had spread to my arms, just by touching, just by tu- just just it, it was up here on my arms, on my upper arms. It was on the calves of my legs. It uh, uh, was insidious. It took uh, my daughter, as an ER nurse, it took her 45 minutes. Um, uh, during the height of my MRSA infection, which was over about three months, um, to just dress my wounds uh, every day. And um, fortunately, she was able to talk to the wound care nurses at the hospital where she worked, and they told her to get me silver ionic bandages. They were only available at the hospital. And that was a big key in being able to address the MRSA infection. I eventually did have to have a new drug that was only released in 2000 called uh, Zyvox. It was a, it's a sulfur drug, and it was able – and those pills, of uh, course, seven days was almost $2,000. Mm. Wow. So um, um, it's a serious problem. And a lot of people don't realize this. We've talked about it. Uh, we talked about it at, at Siri. But a lot of people don't realize regular staff can live in people's noses. Um, and about 30 to 33% of the population carries it in their nose without being sick from it. With MRSA, which is a resistant staph infection that was not even on the scene until 1961. And the first human to have it. Uh, that's on record is in 1968 at Boston Hospital, but two people out of a hundred carry that in their nose without being sick from it. So imagine this, you're at work and somebody has it and it's in their nose and they sneeze and it gets on the doorknob, the the the, the moisture uh, particles from, from their nasal passages. And they, you touch that doorknob and then you wipe your face a few minutes later, which by the way, people do about 15 to 18 times an hour, right? So people don't realize that, but Chuck Gerber will tell you. And then what happens is then it colonizes in your nose. And then maybe a day later, you sneeze on a cut or something and it gets on your skin. And then now you've got a serious problem. There are people who have died from the skin infections. It's not as common as getting it internally in your lungs and so forth, but it can happen. And um, I told the story, you know this, Cliff, I told the story of, uh, of my client, uh, his son, uh, uh, Calvin and, and Janet Hill, their son Grant had
1: MRSA and it almost killed him, almost killed him. David, I... You also mentioned from you mentioned the Siri conference, and uh, at that conference, Carl Grimes was was also one of the speakers. I believe he's been a a frequent guest on our show from Hayward Score, and um, he has talked about the fact that one the one consistent issue they find in homes where people have health issues uh, on their Hayward Score, which is you know, they've had right. thousands and thousands Four, of- forty yeah. or
4: fifty thousand
1: I think yeah. yeah the the one consistent thing they find is there's there's excess dust essentially in these homes can you right. talk a little bit more about that
4: you know uh my wife is a nutrition expert and yesterday we were listening to a doctor um, in, in a summit that she has recorded um the doctor's name is Sarah G. and and uh, he talked about uh, Alzheimer's and um, how um, uh, uh, terrible thing that is. Anyway, what happens is dust uh, in a home you can breathe it and it will get up into your nasal passages and your sinuses and um, it's uh, got a relationship now that they've been able to link that to Alzheimer's and other kinds of disease because it can get past the blood-brain barrier. And uh, this is new information, and um, it's, uh, it's pretty sobering. So um, uh, controlling the indoor environment, keeping dust levels uh, at a minimum, um, is really a critical thing. Now, a lot of people talk about, well, you know, this clean environment, it's all too clean. We don't build up enough antibodies. We don't build up enough resistance, and that's a problem. We're not talking about that there There is a, a sound argument for some of for some of that, but this this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about um, uh, dust that accumulates from uh, pollen that blows in from the windows, uh, dead human skin, dust mites that eat it. Their feces, um, uh, rodent droppings, which a lot of people don't realize most people have rodents in their house of one kind or another, period. You can say you don't, but
1: you're fooling yourself. So, you know, we also talked about vacuuming, which is a, I just find that to be a very uh, interesting topic. I, I started in this business in the asbestos abatement world and asbestos consulting and was introduced to HEPA vacuums and air filtration devices and cleaning in the, through that. But um, HEPA vacuuming or vacuuming in general, I wonder if you could give people a little, some tips maybe on, on how you handled vacuuming in your cleaning business. All right. So a lot of people don't even know what HEPA
4: means. If, if you talk to a consumer, they don't have a clue. So just for everybody, the history of it, it stands for High Efficiency Particulate Arresting Filtration. That was its original uh, acronym, but they've sort of changed that to the High Efficiency Particulate um, uh, Air Filtration. Um, And uh, what it is, is it it really uh, is a filter media that you can put in an air filter in your home for your HVAC uh, system. And I recommend that you do that possibly if you can. Um, uh, But they also have that same filter media for vacuum cleaners. There are a lot of vacuum cleaners out there that really uh, sell as a feature that they don't have any bags or filters. I think that that is uh, uh, not uh, a good vacuum cleaner. Um, because one of the things that people don't realize is that it's not just about picking up soil. It's about reducing the emissions that come from that vacuum cleaner. Vacuum cleaners, um, move an enormous amount of air. And because of my background, uh, after I was a welder and a boiler maker, and uh, we had our business, a cleaning business a few years, uh, We had a son born with Down syndrome in 1986 and uh, I left the the clean business, sold the commercial side. My wife and and her mother ran the residential side for many years and I took a sabbatical and went back into the management uh, of uh, of mechanical contractors and after a couple of years worked for the president of a boiler manufacturer. And so uh, I'm telling you this because I really got to understand airflow and combustion and and um, uh, what happens with um, um, moving air and controlling air, and because you—that's what you do inside of a boiler for a proper combustion. And so I always was puzzled. Well, why don't we, like, we control commercial buildings with air handlers and and uh, you know desiccant systems to control humidity and all these things to control the the airflow and air changes in a commercial building. Why don't we do that or at least have some better regulation of that in a home instead of just opening windows? Well, um, that's a great question, I think. Uh, But, you know, one way to to really get healthy in some places is is breathe some fresh air. Uh, But more and more people are getting sick uh, when they open the window, and it's becoming more and more important to control that indoor environment especially if you have construction going on nearby or if you are on a a farm where glyphosate is being used or uh, other um, pesticides, those kinds of things. Um, uh, In um, cities, you have uh, pollution from vehicles and other places. So controlling the indoor environment, making it a safe, inviting place to be, just like in a commercial building that controls the air, is becoming more and more critical every day. And we talked about Joe, your buddy from summer camp. He's all about controlling that indoor environment in the same way from a construction standpoint. Yep.
1: Yep. So you, you mentioned when we talked to, uh, you know, and I, I looked at it a little differently after we talked because I think it was a good point we want good filtration. We want sealed HEPA on our vacuums, but also it's important that that vacuum create a negative pressure when you're going right. across things. So, and you mentioned that it, it's a better, you get better cleaning on the backstroke than on the forward stroke on a vacuum. I wonder if you could explain a little bit about that to listeners. So, you know, we were just talking about the carpet attachment. Most commercial
4: environments do not have a uh, plush carpet. Uh, most homes do have plush carpet and that plush carpet presents some unique challenges. You want to uh, lift the carpet fiber and then evacuate the soil that's down deep. In order to do that, you need to groom it, not beat it to death. A lot of people sold, are sold on the idea that you beat the carpet. Well, um, I come from the world of uh, uh, a farm and when you put things in a silo or you are pouring concrete in construction, what do you do to get it to settle and come down deep? You vibrate it. That's what you do. And so when you're trying to vibrate or beat the carpet fiber, um, you're just causing that soil that's in the carpet to go down deeper. But if you comb, you comb the carpet fiber up and uh, you make it easy for the soil that's down deep to evacuate out of that carpet, Um, that's the very best. And so besides the carpet attachment with its own separate motor that uh, grooms that for optimum soil evacuation, there are all kinds of other attachments uh, for hard surface floors, for upholstery, uh, in really good vacuums. That allow for airflow. Airflow is critical. It's not the uh, CFMs and it's not the air watts and all that. Uh, those are certainly factors in a good vacuum design. But um, uh, moving the air and how much you move it is really got a lot to do. And not having leakage through the orifice from the pickup location to the exhaust, not having any leakage is really critical. And so uh, having a collection bag, having an after filter, uh, an induced vacuum design like a pro team or a Windsor or a Clark, those are the kinds of vacuums that are professionals and consumer products typically do not have the kind of features that we're talking about. They don't last as long. They break easier. People put duct tape on them and keep moving, and then people get sick. Because what they're picking up is biocontaminants. And our friend Michael Berry will be the first to tell you, you know, uh, in his book and in speeches he's given, I've heard heard him say it many times, and he almost gets angry about the fact that uh, vacuum cleaners are worse polluters. They're worse polluters than cars because they expose people to more harm because of being used in an indoor environment. There's nowhere for all that soil that's being aerosolized to dissipate. It just goes right in your breathing zone. And so we gotta be really careful and think more about vacuum design. It's not just uh, putting a bowling ball on a vacuum. It's about cleaning efficacy and teaching people to use the right tools. I appreciate that the best tools out there are really professional tools, whether you're vacuum cleaners, cleaning cloths, whatever. You're making a mistake if you don't do business and you're in the residential cleaning space, whether in a nursing home or in cleaning uh, single-family homes or multi-housing. Do business with a Jan Jansan distributor that can help teach you some of these things we're talking about because Costco's
1: not going to
3: do it for you.
1: Yep. Now, look, real quick before we break for halftime here, what's the purpose of the V pattern I see people use with, with vacuuming? It, I assume it works better for me. I, that's what I do. But why it, is that done? It looks good. That's a great thing. And that's you true. always want stuff to look good.
4: You want your work product to look good, right? But beyond that, um, when you're vacuuming from different directions or you overlap, Uh, then you're uh, vacuuming from two or three or sometimes four different directions. The cleaning standard for carpets uh, uh, from IICRC talks about vacuuming specifically in two different directions um, and overlapping each time for that reason, because because of the way the carpet fiber sits, you're only going to get it one direction. But when you change directions, it's just like combing or brushing your hair. Uh, you're grooming it in such a way to evacuate that soil properly. I don't have any dirt in my hair today, but <laughs> but you get the
1: point, I hope. So. I do. And we're going to stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back. We're talking about Cleaning for Health with David Kaiser here on IAQ Radio Plus. We'll be back in 90 seconds after we thank our sponsors. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at siriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview. We've got David Kaiser. We're talking cleaning for health. And, David, before the break, we were talking about uh, vacuuming and, and uh I wanted you also to, if you could, to give, you mentioned um, using the different vacuum attachments, which I think is really something that a lot of people don't do the the way they should. Uh, Also vacuuming in a couple directions. I think that was good. We also talked about the fact of, uh, and we didn't mention it here. I want to mention it now of how important vacuuming is prior to carpet cleaning. Um, I also, if you would, maybe give listeners a few other tips, at least consumer wise. Um, you, know, you had talked about using the crevice tool when we were on the phone, maybe a couple tips like that. So uh, let's talk about
4: vacuuming um, uh, as it relates to um, uh, pre-vacuuming before professional carpet cleaning, using hot water extraction or, or, or dry uh, methods, et cetera. Um, first of all, um, when you uh, have carpet uh, and you just say, Well, hey, look, uh, I've got a vacuum on my truck mount or whatever, and it's going to just get the soil out as well. What you do by shooting that water into uh, hot water into the uh, soiled carpet is you create mud. And then when you're pulling it out, um, uh, you're creating friction and all kinds of things. And then the solution that you're using the cleaning with um, is is not as effective because, uh, it's reacting with the soil load that's in the carpet that you could have removed in advance, uh, in a dry type of, uh, vacuum. And, um, and so there's all kinds of reasons, uh, uh, to vacuum before it's going to look better. It's going to make the carpet last longer and, um, uh, you're going to have a better outcome. So, I want you to think about, you know, we go into these big uh, facilities, universities or hotels where they have large, large, uh, you know, swaths of carpet and rooms of carpet. And, um, you know, most of these places will develop a carpet maintenance plan. They will create a plan because it's a big investment. Well, when you think about a homeowner and they're buying carpet and then they get upset because it wears out so quick, what do they do? They go to hard surface floors because ah, oh, carpet just gets dirty and so forth. Well, if they had a good maintenance plan, they understood how to take care of their carpet. Probably it doesn't necessarily cost more money, but it takes an awareness of understanding how to take care of the carpet. If you're going to have good carpet, you want to have a good vacuum cleaner. If you have pets, or you have children especially, you wanna have it professionally cleaned probably once, uh, sometimes twice a year. Uh, And if you have a spill or unforeseen occurrence, you wanna have some way to uh, call in a professional if you need to, spilt wine for example, it can be gotten up, it can be gotten up easy with a professional's care. Um, So going back to uh, the vacuum is understanding that you're removing soil so your detergent or your cleaning solutions work well, uh, that you're increasing the life of the carpet. It's an upsell. You can have better retention if you're a professional and you are vacuuming first. You say, what are you vacuuming for? I just vacuum. Well, you know, we're just making sure I noticed some soil here and it, it really is an opportunity to endear yourself to the customer. We had did carpet cleaning with my business. Most residential house cleaning companies don't do that, but we were able to do it. And uh, it, it, we liked it because we could go in uh, because we had a key to the people's house and we could clean when they weren't there. We didn't have to always do it on a Saturday or in the evening or that kind of, or have the people take off from work. So it was a great add on for us because we had the capability to do it. But we would take the care to do it right, and our customers' carpets were lasted a long time and looked good all the time. Um, in regard to other attachments and so forth, uh, upholstery is a different kind of fabric than carpet. Sadly, I see many people taking carpet attachments like the, you know, grooming—we uh, uh, called it a beater bar, but a power nozzle brush or what have you—and they're putting it on the upholstery and so seams are coming loose even even persian rugs or oriental rugs you got to be careful with the fringe on those or i i I sadly have had to pay for a couple of those uh uh, (laughs) so i'm not immune to these problems either we have all been down the road where we went oh my (laughs) so so we 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 want to uh I always love the story Don Aslett loves to tell about flooding the guy's basement with a carpet machine. (laughs) So, you know, we need to be careful and we need to be professional and uh, we don't want to be paying claims like that. We want to deliver excellent service. So um, so a couple of other uh, uh, tools. They make tools that that will get in tight places that are longer than a conventional crevice tool. And you can go to an appliance store, and a lot of times they will have a tool that will get underneath or behind a refrigerator, for example, if you can't move it or don't want to. Um, And that's a place where a lot of uh, soil accumulates because uh, the, the electric appliance just wants to naturally attract soil and um, things get, you know, boxes or whatever from the top of the fridge a lot of times gets built back there, and it's a, it's a way to get back there. Um, some other things, um, is you want a vacuum that has got a profile in such a way that you can clean under beds or under furniture. A lot of people don't realize it, but um, a lot of really bad, nasty things uh, collect and accumulate around the bed. People Uh, shed a lot of skin at night. Uh, Bed bugs like to live down in a warm, nice place under a bed. So we want to keep, get rid of those. Pets tend to want to get under there a lot of times. So uh, being able to get completely underneath the bed and not lose suction, not lose, not lose airflow because of the tool you're using. You want to have excellent, excellent airflow. There's only a A handful of vacuums. The cruise ship industry has good vacuums because they know all this stuff we're talking about and they Mm -hmm. can't afford to have
1: unhappy customers. What's your favorite vacuum cleaner out there for residential cleaning? If I was uh, talking to a consumer uh, to
4: buy their own, I would tell them to look at an AERIS Electrolux vacuum. Uh, When I talk to uh, the very best people that i know in the cleaning industry um janet dobbins comes to mind you ask them what kind of vacuum cleaner they have they'll tell you they have an aeros electrolux Uh, last 20 or 30 years it has all the features and benefits i'm talking to you about uh it requires very little maintenance and it does excellent work and it's a great tool to take out and um Uh, clean your car with and that kind of stuff too because it's got all those attachments that get in the tight places and so forth and it's not so cumbersome or so heavy that it it's uh, um, you know awkward to use it's a great tool I think uh, I think professionals need to have great tools that have ability for them to work with you know uh, I would only buy one kind of striker when I was a welder because i didn't want a toy from sear Grobuck or something. I wanted a striker that was going to light the torch mm-hmm. the way I wanted it to
1: so hey, i let me ask you this in the uh I got a comment from a listener that in the lead industry they teach that you um when you're vacuuming you do one minute per square yard in two directions, so about two minutes per yard um what do you recommend for people? I mean I think I see people just kind of zipping across the carpet. How long should it take you to 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 right. properly vacuum a carpet? look, we can't even get
4: we can't even get uh, weight staff to clean off a table the right way after somebody leaves it so we got to live within some realm of and, and ideally, I agree that that's that's probably a, a good number you know uh, a minute a yard but Um, The reality is uh, clean where the soil is. Um, You don't have to spend as much time in the corner where nobody walks uh, or or there's no traffic. Uh, Spend more time at the entrances. You know, Bo, Bo, Bo Bodo, he has a whole video talking about in a commercial building, the first 40 feet. Of that building is where all the foot traffic accumulates soil in the carpet or the entryways and so forth. It's similar for a home having throw rugs. Uh, you know, you have to think about slip, trip, and fall and that kind of thing for older people or whatever. But um, to be able to walk that soil off and have some mechanism to do that is really critical. So, vacuuming where the dirt is, vacuum where the soil is. You can use a vacuum. We always used a vacuum with extension wands. This is what I loved about uh, some vacuums. Proteam is a good commercial vacuum for professional cleaners, and, and Windsor is too. Uh, Bo works for uh, Karcher and Windsor. Uh, what happens is they have extensions, and you can suck the cobwebs and the spiders that make spider webs in, into the bag instead of just swatting them around to make another you know, spider web tomorrow, it was like you never were there. So I, I like to, I like to get ladybugs up and I like to get stuff up that's causing me problems and making my homes not look good. And um, if, if the rodents and the insects come back
1: tomorrow, I haven't done my job very well. We're running a little, uh, a little tight on time here. And I know you've got to leave right at one o'clock. So Cliff, let me have you jump in here and get any questions that you hadn't uh, had a chance to ask yet. I've, I okay, L- let's just do it. Why don't we just go right
3: to roundup, Joe?
1: All right, let's do it. If John's ready. You You know, before we do, I've got another text I'd like to read real quick. Uh, this is uh, Scott Armor. Rules for enhanced housekeeping. I want you to comment on these. Include mm-hmm. several uh, several secret ingredients. Attention to detail, quality control from a second set of eyes, and the most important secret ingredient is elbow grease. What do you think of that, David? <laughs>
4: um,
1: I think those are great ideas. I think
4: that. I think that every house clean company and even an individual cleaning on their own. Um, when my wife and I were cleaning houses, we didn't have a checklist, uh, but we were pretty in tune with what we needed to do. We, we knew how to look around and and find uh, missed places or soil. But I'm going to tell you what, uh, it takes humility to make a checklist, uh, one that works and use it. And uh, it improves you. It improved us. It also helped our time because we were more focused on where, and we might have a different checklist for every house. Like we would have a special note about, well, this, these people always get their upholstery vacuum because of the pet or, or we leave this door open. It might not be a cleaning thing, but we leave this door open because of the litter box or, or whatever. So those are just as important as the cleaning task itself. So I do believe that it's really, really critical that every, business even if it's a sole proprietorship operation have standard operating procedures that they take the time and spend you know a weekend a couple hours or whatever it is write down your processes and your procedures what you're going to do not going to do how you're going to care for your vacuums you know everything about the technical aspects of cleaning and then in regard to any processes that are one-offs for your homes uh, I think it's important to have a uh, a process that maybe uh, like we, we clean for uh, several customers that had lung transplants. And so we had to have a whole different uh, regimen in those. We had a separate addendum type list that would go with that. So um, I, I think those are critical things uh, that need to happen. And so I, I, I think, uh, the second set of highs is great. And here's a second set of eyes for you. Look down. Get down on your knees. Look up. Look from a different perspective. Look around. Your your second set of eyes could be your eyes if you know what you're doing.
1: Well, and you could also use a flashlight too. I mean, Oh, it's a great
4: surprised. thing. And a little mirror. Uh, uh, yep. One of those little inspection mirrors that uh, swivel underneath that toilet ring. I had customers doing that. And I'm like, man, I gotta get,
1: get one of
3: <laughs> Cliff, let's see what what do you got for me, your buddy? Well, uh yeah, the, the one thing that we didn't cover, uh that I, I think we should is tell us what the CIMS Green Building GB certification is all right. about.
4: If you so a few years ago, uh Jim Peduto and Dave Frank uh uh uh, they uh, came up with this approach uh, to help professionalize the entire clean industry of uh, the cleaning industry management standard SIMS. And um, so they, they went to ISSA and they uh, they developed an, a, a, uh, an approach to the marketplace to help contractors, especially, but other, other companies too that are related to clean industry. Um, uh, but, it was oriented around a service contractor as opposed to a manufacturing uh, um, company. When you make appliances, you have ISO standards, for example, when you make cars, you make things like that, uh, uh, data wafers and and that kind of Silicon wafers. But with, with a, a contractor in the field providing remote, services uh, not in your location like a mcdonald's makes all their hamburgers on site you know how do you apply iso standards to to that it's it's not as easy to do and so they came up with an alternative really designed around the clean industry uh jim's uh, been a veteran of the clean industry he's a lawyer he understands the value of paper and teaching and education and so um, uh, they came up with a a a standard that includes administrative things like your org chart, uh, succession planning, not succession planning like what happens when you retire, but succession planning that, you know, Joe, if you had your business and you were going out for two days, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to make the decisions? Um, But it also included things like uh, uh, what are your processes? How do you teach your processes? Do your employees know what your processes are? Do, are your customers happy with, do, when you they call with a complaint or a schedule change or what have you, do you answer the phone? Do you respond to the email? How quick do you do it? Is it three days later or within minutes? Or could we see some of that? They want to see it. They have assessors who come in and actually look at your operation and they observe what you're doing. They talk to your customers. You can't pick and choose who you want. They get to pick and choose. And so it's a great tool. The GB part of that is green buildings. And so it's an extra little um, piece of the standard that's really centered around, uh, is your company uh, got the capability and do they have actual clients that they serve that receive green building services? That means that you use green products, not green wash products, they, they, they do the due diligence to make sure, for example, I, I, I use Dawn occasionally, you know, cause it's a great tool and uh, well, show me where that's green. Well, I had to come up with the California uh, formula. state formula for that and show them that. And it's like, okay, we had to do uh, spill, um, uh, uh uh, guards like uh, absorbent guards for all of our warehousing and so forth. Um, uh, we had to show that we used uh, a green cleaning. We used dry steam vapor instead of a lot of harsh chemicals. It, um, and so that replaced the need for a lot of chemicals. So we were able to show, we were able to show our entire process of how we cleaned uh, using HEPA vacuums. Mm-hmm. Um, we used HEPA vacuums for that. We use really good micro filtration vacuums for regular cleaning, which do a great job in a home, most cases. Um, but, um, and so we were able to document not only that we could do it, but that we were doing it. And um, because of that, we were one of two residential clean services in the entire world that uh, had the green building designation. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's interesting, David, you had mentioned earlier having standard operating procedures, and it sounds like that program is essentially enforcement of standard operating procedures, making sure you have them and that you're following them.
4: Yeah, I I think it's a good tool. It it is a little um, uh, pricey for a lot of residential cleaning contractors, um, but I liked it. I thought it was a great selling tool. Uh, There's a lot of knowledge workers here in the D.C. area um, that uh, understand things like ISO. And I was able to show the comparison of what Sims GB is to ISO. And if you've got a 10,000 square foot house and uh, you've got uh, furnishings in there worth millions of dollars, uh, you like to know somebody knows what they're doing, uh, how to take care of it. So our Sims GB, because you can have a bad process, but our Sims GB program was, able to show that our processes were good too. And we were able to telegraph that to the customer that we knew how to take care of a marble shower, that we knew how to take care of glass shower enclosures closures or um, high end furniture that had lacquered finishes, those kinds of things.
1: we were running up on one o'clock here before we go. I wanted to ask, is there anything you'd like to add uh, that we missed or anything? Just uh, final thoughts for listeners. Well, I would like to say this. Um, you mentioned
4: at the outset uh, my uh, background with uh, being a founding member of the Association of Residential Clean Services International. That organization we started around 2004, um, around the same time that Siri was getting its legs. Uh, and um, it has grown, um, uh, and it's had fits and starts and, and so forth over the years. But there are over 700 members now. And um, uh, ISSA really supports ARCSI. And they're uh, uh, just uh, completed a strategic planning meeting with the new council of ARCSI. And uh, there's a lot of uh, fresh ideas uh, that they're bringing to the fore to, to bring some new life to ARCSI. And I just want to say that if you're serious about being in the professional house cleaning industry, um, uh, as a vendor, as a, um, uh, a professional house clean contractor, um, you want to be uh, involved with ArRC. You want to be a member of ArRC. Um, e- even if it's uh, just to participate in their in their round tables by telephone, they have a thing called Hot Topic Tuesday, but they also, because of their membership with ARCSE, you get uh, involved with the ISSA show, which is what? Uh, one of the largest clean shows in the world. Uh, it'll be in Vegas here in a couple months. Um, and uh, you really get to develop relationships, not just with other house cleaning owners, but uh, people like Craig Monsell is a friend of mine. He's a retired chemist from P&G. Who gets to do that? Hmm. You can talk about things, challenges you have, better ways of delivering your service, uh, better vacuum design. And these people want to know how to help us. Uh, JanSan distributors also attend that event, and they are are puzzled many times at how to do business with the residential community. And so we need to strengthen that. And being an ARCSE member is critical to scaling your business, maintaining your business, and uh, developing relationships that will really help you um, uh, uh, keep your business sustainable in your absence. Um, There are tons and tons of people who have matured their business to be um, somewhat of an absentee owner when they want to be. Uh, You guys have several interests out there um and uh, so sometimes it's nice to take off and go do one of those other things um and so uh, a lot of house cleaning business owners have been able to do that but one friend chuck Turkstra, he was able to go be a helicopter pilot for the police um while he still owned his house cleaning business
1: nice nice well thank david thank you so much for joining us this week on iaq radio plus it's been uh Very interesting. Love to have you back again sometime. We uh, didn't get to talk about a few topics I think would be great to uh, follow up on at some point. I know you've got to run. I want to thank David Kaiser for being our guest today. Uh, Cleaning for Health, uh, professional house cleaning. I think that's a a topic that um, is near and dear to many of us. also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick from... Calling in from Chicago today. Well done. Uh, At the controls, John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners will be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus.
0: For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.